America's Oldies But Goodies, Episode 28. classes and went and visited agents and got an agent right away and went to work right away. My first thing was the 77 Sunset Strip. And I I had two days work on it or something, but I played a sweet little young ingenue kind of thing. And then Warner Brothers put me under option to contract. They didn't pick up my option, but I did about 15 shows in a row, which once you have the film on you, then you can show somebody what you can do. Oh, sure. Then I went back to the stage and said, I got to grow some more as an actress because I'm playing the sweet young thing all the time. So I went back and the first thing I did was play a hooker. (laughs) (laughs) But she was a lovable hooker. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow. Hey everyone, and welcome to another encounter with some groovy moments from the past. We're visiting the 60s with host Dick Scopatoni, whose pop group Harper's Bazaar had a hit record back then called Feelin' Groovy. He'll be talking with our guests about a decade that shaped a whole generation, not only with the most magnificent music ever made, but also the politics, protests, and pretty much everything that happened in the swingin' 60s. So, Dick, who's on today's show? Thanks, John. Who remembers the song, I Met Him on a Sunday? Well, we're going to meet her today. Her is Beverly Lee, who's been with the Shirelles from the very beginning. Beverly talks about their performances on five continents and appearing before many heads of state and U.S. presidents. But first up, we tend to think of Dawn Wells and the role of Marianne on Gilligan's Island Although she also appeared in various TV episodes from the early 60s, like Hawaiian Eye, 77 Sunset Strip, Maverick, and Bonanza, by the late 1970s, Dawn was a guest star on shows like The Love Boat and Fantasy Island. But that's really just the tip of her career. Today, she runs a business called Wishing Wells Collections, making clothing for people with limited mobility. And she's the founder of the Idaho Film and Television Institute. We'll talk with Dawn and Beverly in just a moment. So get in the boat and let's go sailing. Uh, sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing man, skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. The weather started getting the tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. The ship set ground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle with Gilligan, the skipper too. A millionaire and his wife. A movie star, the professor and Mary We tend to think of Don Wells in the role of Marianne on Gilligan's Island, but she also appeared in various TV episodes from the early 60s, like Hawaiian Eye, 77 Sunset Strip, Maverick, and Bonanza. And by the late 1970s, Don was a guest star on shows like The Love Boat and Fantasy Island. But that's really just the tip of her career. She's appeared in nearly 100 theatrical productions and had a one-woman show at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. Alan Hale Jr., the skipper on Gilligan's Island, contributed recipes to Dawn's 1993 book, Mary Ann's Gilligan's Island Cookbook. Her second book, What Would Mary Ann Do? A Guide to Life, was published in 2014 to coincide with the 50th anniversary of Gilligan's Island. Today, she runs a business called Wishing Wells Collections, making clothing for people 
people with limited mobility, and she's the founder of the Idaho Film and Television Institute, just a handful of things that would keep the rest of us busy 10 hours a day. We need to find out how she does it. So, Dawn Wells, welcome to America's Oldies But Goodies. I am an oldie, and I am goody. Good. All right. All right. I think you, you and I are probably almost the same age. I'm 72. But, you know, what's the difference? I don't know that that really has anything to do with anything, other than we've probably discovered a lot more stuff the older we get. Well, and I think so, too. You know, you, you, you sort of look back on the things you've done. You, I, you can't remember some of them. You think, gosh, I can't remember doing that play. Or, or when you see the list, you think, gosh, I've been around a long time. <laughs> And and even and when I was reading your webpage, which is it is dawnwells.com. You know what? Before we get too far into the future, let's see if we can back up for a minute. We'll start with kind of a, a brief overview of your professional background. Let's begin with the years before your successful time in showbiz. What was going on? Where where did it all start, I guess? It started in Reno, Nevada. That's where I was born. I'm a fourth-generation Nevadan. My great-great-grandfather drove stagecoach from huh? Reno to Virginia City, so I'm a real Western girl at heart. Yeah. My parents were divorced when I was four. My parents were always good friends. My father lived in Las Vegas, ran uh, Wells Cargo, his trucking company, and owned the Thunderbird Hotel for a while. My mother was a bookkeeper, worked for five pediatricians in Reno. So I really had a really, uh, coming from a gambling and divorce yeah. community, yeah. I really had a, 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 a Midwest upbringing. My mother was very strict with me, knew where I was every minute. My mother and father were friends. There was never any animosity going. And I felt I had two families that loved me. I feel it was an advantage, not a disadvantage at all. You know, you said Wells Cargo. Did, did your father start Wells Cargo? Wells Cargo, not Wells Fargo. I know, Wells yeah, Fargo. Wells, yeah, Wells Cargo. Wells. That's a well-known company. Yes, yes, and they they, they do hauling and mining yeah. and uh, mining in, in South America and stuff, too. Yeah. Okay. So now you must have inched toward singing or doing something in showbiz when you were, uh, what, in your early teen years? What was happening then? No, I, I, my knees dislocated. I wanted to be a ballerina. That's what I, I studied dance more than anything. Oh, yeah. And I was doing a rangete and landed on my face because my knee dislocated. So oh. I couldn't take any, any more dance. I don't really carry a tune very well. But I, I, I was a public speaker. I did a lot of debates and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And when I went away to college, I went to Stevens, all women in Columbia, Missouri, which was a fabulous education. And I did a lot of theater there. So when I, Stevens was a two-year school at that point, And I transferred to the University of Washington in Seattle because it had a really good theater department. And I got uh, a degree in, you know, an AA degree, BA degree or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just gave myself two years. And I said, I'll give myself two years to see if I go to work. If not, I'll go back and, and maybe get a, uh, a PhD or something else, you know, do something else. And I, and I was a perfect type, which is what I like to talk about when I ran my film actors boot camp. Where do you fit? You know, on Broadway, you know, 30 feet away from the audience, you can get away with a lot more. On film, you are what you see. Oh, sure. And, and, and I was a perfect little ingenue. So I thought, since I don't sing and dance very much, I thought I'll try Los Angeles. And I came into L.A. and lived at a Hollywood studio club <laughs> with all the girls, you know, and took some acting classes and went and visited agents and got an agent right away and went to work right away. My first thing was the 77 Sunset Strip. Yeah. And I, I had two days work on it or something, but I played a sweet little young ingenue kind of thing. And then Warner Brothers put me under option to contract. They didn't pick up my option, but I did about 15 shows in a row, which once you have the film on you, then you can show somebody what you can do. Oh, sure. Then I went back to the stage and said, I got to grow some more as an actress because I'm playing the sweet young thing all the time. So I went back and the first thing I did was play a hooker. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I put that image in a hurry. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, jeez. But she was a lovable hooker. (laughs) Okay. She was sweet, nice anyway. And, And I've just been really lucky. I taught a... Uh, courses in my film actors boot camp saying where you fit you know you can't be all things to all people and and you have to put where's the market you know maybe you just do commercials mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. maybe you sing and dance and you should be on broadway maybe you should be uh, doing shakespeare and Chekhov. where do you kind of fit i mean you can't do all things so i think that's part of the part of the reason people dream of being in the movies that has nothing to do with anything yeah it's you want to work sure and where do you want to work and where are you best suited for it I couldn't do, I've done a lot of stage theater, but I couldn't do a huge musical. I did They're Playing Our Song, which is pretty good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that yes. was, almost killed me. I was oh, down to about 100 pounds. Oh, jeez. But, but I did it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I accomplished it. So I think it, I think, 
it's it's called show business, and it's a business. And if you just want to do it for fun, then you do a community theater and do things that you love. But otherwise, you approach it like a business. It is a business. You have to look good. You have to have your teeth cleaned. You have to, you know, clear up your complexion. You have to keep your weight down. You have to exercise. You have to do things. A baseball player doesn't just walk on and pick up a bat. Right, right. You know. And are you still teaching this class? And where? Where do you teach the class? Well, I, I've closed the camp, finally. I, I was doing that, and I was doing most of that. But I'll go and do a guest artist in, the, in a college. I do a lot of things at Stevens. I've been brought into University of Nevada in a couple of areas where they've asked me to teach a summer program or something. I like that. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy imparting your wisdom. I don't have kids, and yeah. it's kind of nice to pass something on. Do you find, just on that subject, it, it occurs to me, in, in talking to young people today that want to be in the movies, are they any different in their aspirations and their dreamy eyes than they might have been 30 years ago or 40 years ago? Or, or is everybody still imagining that this is the greatest thing in the world? Well, I think it, I think it makes a difference. When, my, when I was growing up, there wasn't the opportunities in so many places. Mm-hmm. Now you've got so much on, on television cable and all kinds of stuff, you almost have a chance of doing it almost locally somewhere. Yeah. If I had to do it over again, I think I'd go into news broadcasting. Really? I'm a news, yeah, I'm a news junkie and I watch it and there wasn't many, uh, there, there weren't many female uh, newscasters and stuff way back then. That's but I right. think if I had to do it over again, I love the acting bug and you could do that once a year or twice a year and do a play you love to do. But I think it'd be really interesting to be a, to be a broadcaster. Well, you know, just talking about that, and I, I'm going to assume that one of the, probably one of the real uh, highlights was Gilligan's Island. But aside from that for a moment, what do you consider to be some of your most notable successes throughout your life? Are there any other super high points beyond uh, Gilligan that you think of? Well, I, I mean, I would say accomplishing uh, uh, doing the musical was huge. Mm. Because with my knees, dancing was difficult, and I, and I really don't carry a tune very well. So it was very difficult. I really lost a lot of weight, wow. the anxiety of it. The fact that I accomplished it, I feel great about it. I don't think I ever have to do another one. <laughs> I mean, but, but that was really something that I really felt that I accomplished and, and I really worked at it. I'd like to do Shakespeare. Okay. I have not been cast in anything since college. I'd like to do a real drama. I mean, I'd like to do something where I'm really a crazy person. You know, you, you, you realize what your marketability is. You know, I mean, Marianne is what you came to see. So do you want to see her all the time? Or do you want to say, well, what's, what's she playing that old lady for? You, you don't know. And it's called show business. It just depends on whether you're selling the tickets or not. Yeah. As an actor, you want to do as much as you can. So you might go and do summer stock somewhere, uh, a, a, a role that would knock your socks off as an actor, that, you know, it's a six-week run and you've managed to accomplish it. Maybe it wouldn't be a national tour. I don't know. I mean, I think I, commercials are just hit and miss. You know, there's a three or four lines and that's it. Yeah. But, but to do a play, you really, I love the rehearsal period. That's my favorite. You don't get much of that when you're doing a film. You know, uh, and you mentioned that you don't, you don't need to do the musical again. It just triggers a memory. And when I was, I'm going to say when I was 50 or, or thereabouts, my son had been asking me to, to climb uh, Half Dome for years. And I always told him, no, as much as I love Yosemite, been there hundreds of times. But I did. Uh, you did it? I, I did it. it. It actually wasn't that hard. However, once was enough. I don't need to do it again. Do it it was, again. Yeah. 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 So uh-huh. how many, well, again, because we come across so many names just even associated with TV, uh, let me ask you if any of the well-known people that you've worked with, uh, any of them leave a memorable impression on you? In, in, in several ways, or as an in, actor? Or? Uh, in, in any way, actually. Well, I think Bob Denver was a real big, was a real big uh, surprise, mm-hmm. because he, he's that little skinny body, and that little nondescript kind of face, fabulous at comedy, very good at drama, unlikely to be cast. Yeah. When he started out, you got to have the role for him. You know, you, I mean, Gilligan was absolutely perfect. He never rehearsed anything. Uh. He didn't rehearse those pratfalls and the things that he did and falling out of trees. It just, it just was him. It just came from inside, and yeah. it was a joy to watch that. You know, actors prepare for Shakespeare, oh, sure, and rehearse and all of that. But it was just inside, Bobby. I'm sure Charlie Chaplin was just Charlie Chaplin inside, yeah. and and that that's that's very unique. I think as a theater performer you can fool the audience a lot more than you can on film. Not, not fool, but you can disguise who you really are, I think, 30 feet away. 
but you can't what's going on behind your eyes. So I, I really enjoyed working with him, and I enjoyed a lot of the a lot of the guest stars. I can't even remember some of them coming through, but like a Phil Silvers, who knows the comedy inside and out, doesn't have to rehearse it. He's just got it in his blood. Yeah. And then you get new actors that come in and try too hard, <laughs> try to make it work, and, yeah. and and part of that is relaxing in front of this in front of the camera. They've got to see behind your eyes, kind of. It, it, and I think that's what was fun with me with teaching. And and anybody can kind of get up and sell a car or a cup of coffee, maybe. That's not too tough. But then to play that, to play something through a whole series or through two and a half hours, one of the things, one of the things I used to teach at my camp is, who are you? What are you? What do you? What do I see when I put you, when I put you in front of the camera? Mm-hmm. What am I seeing? Am I seeing you thinking? Am I seeing you trying too hard? Am I seeing you trying to look pretty? And that's what most of the girls were doing. Yeah. Trying to look pretty. I want to be in the movies. I want to look pretty. Sure. So, okay. Yeah. Now that's done. You look pretty. Now go on. Okay. Yeah. What next? Okay. <laughs> yeah. What next? Sure. I want to kind of flip flop this for a second because, and when I look at all of the stuff that you've done, I'm going to throw this in as uh, not a challenge necessarily, but let's just say in spite of all of our successes, there probably was a few hills that we couldn't climb. Do you have a best failure story, something that you just couldn't get beyond no matter what? I don't know that. Maybe if you go way back, uh, you don't put yourself up for something you don't think you can accomplish at a certain point. At a certain point, my name is a value, and I certainly wasn't going to go and try to bomb. Sure. The fact that that, that that I did a musical was a, was a big stretch when they asked me to, and I said, look, I mean, my knees dislocate. I'm not a dancer, and I can't carry a tune. Well, let's try it. <laughs> okay. Let, let's, let's try it. Let's audition. Yeah. And they cast me, which yeah. floored me. But, boy, I'll tell you, I mean, I didn't talk. I drank uh, warm liquids. I did all these things that you hear about opera singers and everything. I was so afraid I was going to lose my voice. Yeah. But I, but I kind of am tone deaf. I really don't know that I'm really off-key. And that's pretty hard to sing if you don't know that. Yeah, I guess that was, I mean, I, I, I accomplished it. I don't think I'd try it again. Well, it sounds like all the work that went along with it maybe was more of a stretch than you wanted. Were you singing any flat-out solo parts where there was nobody behind you, no chorus or anything? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, just so you're there out there. there. Yeah. It was an orchestra, yeah. 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 Okay. And and you know when people come to see a musical, they want to hear a great voice. Oh, sure. But, yeah. it, but I, I also feel if you are the character and, you're, and, and, and they like the character you're playing, Mm-hmm. They're going to accept things from you thinking it's the character. Right. If you think somebody's acting for you, you don't like it as an audience member. But if you're thinking you're watching me kind of struggle with something and kind of getting it and kind of that, you're kind of with me. Not that, not that you, as a reviewer, say, God, she should be singing better. But I didn't get blasted in the reviews. Okay. No, I yeah. mean, I, I'm sure I didn't get some really great ones, but I didn't, um, no, I didn't get blasted. And that's the hard part. You know, actors do read their reviews. One of my students saved all the bad ones. What does that do for you? I wanted to hear what they didn't like about me. I said, well, put one that they liked about you next to it. Because <laughs> it is discouraging. You put yourself out there. You understand that, what you're doing right now. Sure. I see by the old clock on the wall, it's time for a quick break. We'll be back in less than a minute. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. Wherever I wander, wherever I roam, I couldn't be found of my big home. The bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. When you look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants, then maybe try a few. The bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you. Later in today's show, I'm going to tell you my story about type 2 diabetes. But first, let's talk about Longevity, the program that I've joined that was started by Dr. Joel Wallach, who's on a 40-year mission to educate people about proper nutrition and supplementation, which is the real solution for optimal health and longevity. I've set up a website to tell you all about it, ReduceYourNumbers.com. That's it, www.reduceyournumbers.com. 
reduceyournumbers.com. I put my story on that site to let you know what I'm doing to improve my health. Both my wife Mimi and I use Longevity supplements every day. And as a result, now I'm a crusader for Doc Wallach and what I consider to be the best health program I have yet to encounter. So please check it out at www.reduceyournumbers.com. What you're doing, I'd love to do what you do. I'd love to do radio. Oh. I, I love it because you can be who you are and, and you have to be spontaneous. What I'm saying to you, you have to be able to pick up and go on with Sure. It. You don't have yeah. a written script. Well, and you know, even as you're you're saying that, putting yourself out there, uh, there's so much of it that I, I'm not sure that people really realize all that goes into acting in general. Now, I have never done acting. I've done singing with with my group, Harper's Bazaar. That's back in the '60s, but uh, never done any acting. However. You keep saying it's a business. It is a business. It's not something you simply do for fun. Uh, I mean, you might do it for fun, like you said, maybe locally. But yeah, community theater. Sure. Something that you do, that's fun. Yeah. 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 But uh, aside from that, I don't want to say that it's work. It is work. But it, it is also a profession. It's something that takes time. And uh, I think I would have liked to have take one of your acting classes, even though I... I've never, I don't know that I'll ever act, but uh, suffice it to say, it might have been fun just to see that side of it. I did write a couple of screenplays, had no luck with oh, them. Oh, you but did? Oh, yeah, okay. I did, and I enjoyed the writing of the screen. I enjoyed, I guess I could call it the technology of writing a screenplay, that is, how uh, Act 1 moves into Act 2 and what the character arc is and all that. I enjoyed all that. It's, it's almost mathematical to a certain extent. I was going to say it's science in a way. It, it really is and yeah. and uh-huh. you know there I, from what i learned there is no line of dialogue that's just there every single line right down to the last word is uh, has something that either is important at the moment it's said or will be important 10 minutes from now when something else happens but that's interesting you mentioned that um, i wanted to call him maynard g krebs but um, bob denver uh, most of what he was doing was um just ad-libbing or kind of close well to- i mean the, the, the i guess the dialogue was there but but he did a lot of physical comedy. Yeah. Now, it doesn't say fall down here, hang right. from a tree here, <laughs> right, yeah. laugh at the skipper here. The two of them together were were magic to <laughs> begin with. The physical the physical beings of them were fabulous. And Alan was the skipper. I mean, he was this jovial, wonderful man. He picked Ginger up in one arm and me up in the other arm. He's the same size as my dad. So I, there was a love there. But there was also the way he treated Gilligan. I mean, he was always mad at him, but he wasn't really mad at him. Yeah. It was done with love, mm-hmm. and that was Alan. Sure. I mean, I think you could have gotten some big, rough and tough actor to play that role that wouldn't have had the warmth. And I think he probably came off that way. I read a couple of things when I was just researching your background. Um, he, he had a restaurant in uh, North Hollywood, yeah. I think. And, uh-huh. But he was there. He it was actually in the restaurant greeting people. He didn't just sure. own it. He was there and apparently had a really good time meeting people coming coming in there. He should have run for some kind of office. He, he was that kind of person. Yeah. He really should have. So I guess his dad was that way. I don't remember his father much. But I, I, I don't either. That's that Yeah, Alan Hale Sr. And uh, I guess, was he in the movies? or? Well, oh, yeah, and all okay. the Errol Flynn movies. Oh, yes, all okay. Those, yeah, all that big stuff. And they look alike. Yeah. Okay, all right. Now, let me ask you this. There may have been a time in our, I'll say our younger years, when we were as fit as a fiddle. I don't know if that's still the case with you, but how's your health nowadays? Good. Good as it can be. Great. Knock on wood, good. I mean, you all have, you know, ups and downs, but my knees still locate. That's the only thing that I'm afraid that if I'm crossing the street, if I do something wrong, I don't want to fall. But my knees, knock on wood, haven't dislocated in a long time. I don't put myself out there. I don't ski. Yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) Of course But my health is good, and I I eat well. I mean, I grew up with vegetables and stuff with my mother. My mother made sure that I was eating the right things, so I'm a healthy person. I don't eat a lot of junk. I don't drink a lot. I don't, you know, I do drink booze, but I don't drink a lot of it. And I don't, I don't, rest is important to me. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I go pretty strong. I mean, I I'm pretty I'm pretty healthy, and I I don't have a lot of worries. You know, if you've got a kid on drugs or your daughter's getting pregnant or something's going on, there's a lot of angst. And since I've lost my mom, and I took care of my husband while I was sick, I I don't have that 
that angst in my life. So I wake up every morning with joy. That's great. That is great. The whole stress thing. And I've been through it more than a few times, and it's not. Sure. it can be debilitating. You're lucky, by the way, that you grew up on veggies. I, I didn't. My mother was an Italian cook, and we always had good Italian food. But I, I never was into veggies. I'm trying now to get into them, in part because I'm a type 2 diabetic, and I need to try and back off the carbs as much as possible. Um, yes. But it's not. I, you're, you're lucky that you were raised on veggies. Because it takes some getting used to. At least for me, it does. Well, and you can season them. You can use a little tomato sauce on that zucchini, you know. Sure. That's that's true. <laughs> and you slice and stir-fry the cauliflower. It's not as bad as you think it is. If, if you're a good cook. Mm-hmm. A Swiss chard is good. You know, I don't, there's a lot of stuff that I really don't like. But, but I, and I love fresh salads, of course. Oh, yeah. That's easy to get the vegetables. Down, yeah, yeah uh, salads always work for me. I had last night my daughter-in-law made uh, what did what did she make? You just mentioned it. She cut them up and stir fried them. Zucchini? No, uh, the white, the little white. Um, oh, I'll think of it. I'll think of it after we hang up, and then I'll call cauliflower? you. Cauliflower. 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 Yeah. I, I eat raw cauliflower all the time. Okay. I can't live without mayonnaise, though. Yes. If you have to take anything away from me, do not take my mayonnaise. <laughs> okay. I can eat it on anything. <laughs> I think I can, too. That does work. Uh, le- <laughs> let me ask you, aside from just talking about food, uh, in or out of showbiz, it doesn't matter. What's been your total most challenging experience in your life? Climbing the mountains in Rwanda. Oh, boy. And I have bad knees. Yes. And uh, I'm a traveler. I like that. And they said, let's go see the gorillas. I said, that sounds good to me. Now, how far do we have to climb that mountain? Yes. <laughs> but it's not climbing cliffs. It's rolling hills. Yeah. But that was a lot of work. And a lot of, and a lot of uh, I had a walking stick. And going down the hills is the hard part. Yes, it is. Because when you go down hills, all the weight is on your knees. Mm-hmm. Climbing up, it's all on your thighs. But that was quite a challenge. And, and it was not hard. What was going on there? How how was it that you went there? I don't know how I got involved with the tour. I, I, my cousin took me around the world on the Concorde. My darling little cousin in Reno. Before she died, she said, we're going around the world on the Concorde. Hmm. Well, which was fabulous, but yeah. that's just tourists, you know? Yeah. And I don't know how. I think Africa, but I don't, I mean, we did, went to Africa, but I don't know how. I said, I've got to do this. I've got to do this gorilla climb. And, and there were five of us that went. With a guide and all of that, but that was the highlight of my life. You can go to, you know, you can go to England and you can go to Paris and you can do all of that. But you don't. There you are with the natives. There you are how they live and where they are, and you see them and they're they're in their trees and they're eating one berry. Well, their their fingers are as big as your wrist. Gee. And they eat one little berry at a time. Daintily, <laughs> <laughs> oh, one little berry at a time instead of breaking the whole branch. Yeah. And yeah. and 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 they're very curious. They're not at all aggressive. You don't. You're not afraid of them. Really? It's not like a lion or because a tiger. Because they're, no. uh, they're big, I think. I mean, they're huge. Yeah, yeah I know they are. But I mean, their fingers are as big as my wrist. And they're, and they're big, but they're not vicious. And I guess we're not, they're not predators of humans either. They eat vegetables and stuff. I don't think they kill animals. I don't know what, you know. So I think they, they have a personality, and we come up to a, a family, let's say. There's seven or eight of them. And they fold their arms and go, oh, and just turn their backs like, oh, here they come again. Oh, gee. Tourists. Really? <laughs> If you don't think we came from apes, you have to really, really think about it. Yeah. Because their reactions are exactly like people. Now, let me ask you, what are you doing now, and what are your plans for the future? Oh, boy. Well, you never kind of really know. I just I just uh, closed in Jacksonville doing Steel Magnolias. I have played every role now. I played okay. the, the daughter, and then I played the mother, and then I played Weezer. So okay. I played the Shirley MacLaine role. I've got a couple offers for a play. I'm not sure what I'm doing where that's concerned. Uh, I don't have anything necessarily on the calendar until, I don't know, what month are we in? Well, September, and I think next, probably next week, it looks like. Let me grab it. Uh, Why am I saying Hunt Valley, Maryland? Oh, yeah, I'm doing a Comic-Con. That's really kind of interesting, this Comic-Con stuff, because you really get a chance to see families together, and and you raise these kids, so you have a one-to-one reaction. It's very nice. I mean, it's a fan-based thing. But when I was a kid, you never got to meet anybody. I'd have given my soul to meet Marla Brando. Oh, you know, sure. Yeah. You never get a chance to. You went to the movies. You never got to see them. And now we're in your house. Mm-hmm. So I'm part of your family. And Marianne is definitely part of your family. 
it appeals to the adults and the kids. Sure. So I was graced having that role. I mean, you could have been... Ginger was not a... She was elusive. You as a kid might... You might have wanted to be that pretty, but you might have been afraid to be her best friend. So the character of Marianne has opened all kinds of doors for me. But I really am a Marianne. I was raised a Marianne with divorced parents, gambling, mm-hmm. legal prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> that's, where, that's where Dawn Wells grew up. But she really is a Marianne. Yeah. My mother raised me that way. And, and, and I think we should all be kind and good and cheerful and all those things. It gets you further. It helps the world. Well, and it's, it's gotten you way further. And uh, with all of the things that you've been doing, you're still rolling right along. A lot of the people that I talk to every week, uh, sometimes I can't believe that they're uh, still going at it. I couldn't go back out on the road and sing now. I, I'm, I'm not saying that I wouldn't, but uh, trying to adjust to being on the road lifestyle is tough. But I talked to, uh, last week I talked to Tommy James. Then I, you go back before that, the Buckinghams. And I talked mm-hmm. to Connie Francis early on. All these people oh are still God, out there yeah. working. She is still? Oh, yeah. Gosh, I love her, too. Oh, yeah. I love her. Well, if it's part of your soul, you know, if you're if you're a painter, you don't put the brush down at age 50. That's right. Or if you're a teacher, you teach till they till you feel like you have to retire. If you like what you're doing, it's 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 not a job. It's your life. And and I love what I'm doing. I'm always w- waiting for the challenge. I don't think I'm as 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 brave as I was before. I don't know that I would do a national tour. Maybe I would. I don't have any grandchildren or anything. I don't have a husband. I don't have, you know, so who cares? I I I've just lost my mother. You know, about a year ago, and she was 91, okay. and, and and right sharp to the very end, she choked to death. Hmm. So, she'd still be here, yeah. <laughs> yeah. telling me what to do and yeah. what not to wear. Yeah, she would be. <laughs> but but I, her life was me, and, and, and I see how important that is. To be a mother, you can't go off and do a play six months and let somebody else take care of the kid. You've got to help raise that child. And people do do it, travel with them, and do do it. They do do it, but... Uh, that's the reason I didn't didn't have a child, and then of course I wasn't married anymore. But I, I woke up one morning and thought he would be a horrible father. Oh, Why geez. didn't I think of that before I married him? Yeah, right, exactly. You know, we well, were who does? And all of that, but, yeah. but father, no, couldn't have been. Why didn't I think of that? Because you don't at that age. You know, you fall in love, and that's it. Well, you know, I think I would like to reconnect with you. As I look at this, it looks like I'm going through here. It doesn't go past November. You're going to be in St. Louis in November. But maybe early part of next year, would you be up for another interview to kind of bring us up to speed on what's happening? Oh, I'd love it if you don't mind. I yeah. scatter too much, but I would know I'd like that. Okay. Maybe we could have a point of view on something. Yeah, okay, good. All right, well, let's just, let's, let's. I like it. You're, you're a good interviewer. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, and you're a good interview, so uh, probably another reason for us to reconnect. So let's plan on, uh, I'll think after January, uh, I'll check dates, and then I'll give you. And the, but oh, Leonard, then, and I might interview you. Yeah. We might, we might do a, we, we might, you talk to me and I'll do a switcheroo. Okay, all right. We could do something kind of fun. Would love to do it. Well, okay. thanks again for being available today. Had a good time with this and uh, got a lot of good stuff out of it. And we shall talk soon. Okay, have a great day. Thanks uh, for following. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Okay, dear. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Okay, folks, it's time for a momentary diversion. We'll take a quick break and be back in a flash. Amen. 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 Sing it over. Amen.
Earlier in the show, I mentioned that I would tell you more about the latest health program that I'm on. I've had the good fortune to lead a relatively healthy life, although I'm not sure I can chalk it up to plenty of exercise and a wholesome diet. I've never lasted longer than three months in any health club, and most of my days are spent in front of a computer. But I've been a little surprised by the number of guests that I interview on this show who have type 2 diabetes. Most of us are in the baby boomer age. Age range. I'm 72, and for me, age 50 was when I found out I had type 2 diabetes. I've used various prescriptions over the years, and some of them have helped reduce my numbers a bit, maybe down into the 130 range. Typical numbers for non-diabetics, 90 to 110. Two years ago, I cut back on sugary processed foods, and my blood sugar numbers came down, though not as much as I had hoped. I lost 18 pounds, but not not for long, the weight came back again. Recently, I started using longevity supplements, and my diabetes numbers have come down even more. My morning numbers now are between 85 and 114. I can't say for sure why my numbers have dropped, but I can suggest that you take a closer look at the supplement packs I'm using, like the Healthy Body Blood Sugar Pack. Uh, my wife Mimi is using the Healthy Body Weight Loss Pack. You can find these two supplements supplements on my website, reduceyournumbers.com, or just call me at Shirelles began their career in a 1957 high school talent show. They had honed their collective singing skills while babysitting, and in just a few short years, they would be acknowledged as the creators of the girl group Sound. They were the first female group to sell over one million records, and they were also one of the first groups to write their own music, most notably their first hit, I Met Him on a Sunday. Then in 1960, they recorded the Jerry Goffin Carol King song, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? And it went to number one. No less a rock and roll expert than John Lennon proclaimed the Shirelles his favorite group in the early days of Beatlemania. Few performers can truly be called trendsetters. Fewer still can sustain a high visibility over almost 60 years. But as Rock and Roll Hall of Fame members, the Shirelles have done just that and better. Beverly Lee has been there the whole time. Hi, Beverly. Welcome to America's Oldies But Goodies. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm doing just fine, and I'm so happy to talk to you, and I have so many memories of uh, you and I are probably in essentially the same age range, and I remember all of the Shirelles tunes when I was in high school. You've got a long list of hit songs behind you. I wonder if we can start before we get to your time in the music business. Can you sort of rewind a little bit before that and talk about what it was like growing up in Passaic, New Jersey? Well, um, it was wonderful. Uh, we were school girls. I was a pom-pom girl in high school. We did little school functions or private parties. We had own uh, bands that traveled with us. And um, like you said before, we used to listen to the radio, uh, Dr. Drive on WWRL 1600 in New York. And uh, the music he played, we just harmonized with it. Is Passaic near New York, somewhere near the... the... 12 miles from, from the Big Apple. Oh, okay, all right. You I can didn't... see the skyline. Are you anywhere near the airport? I think Continental's headquarters is 
at that in the New Jersey? 20 minutes with no traffic. Okay. All right. Good. You've got all the details. So when you were in high school, did you have your eyes on becoming uh, famous at that point? No, we had no uh, We knew nothing about show business. Um, we were doing this for fun. You know, we enjoyed singing. And um, when we did the show, we didn't know that classmates by the name of Mary Jane Greenberg was in the auditorium and that her mother owned a record company. And um, we had no idea that this would take place. And you made a connection with who was that person? Mary Jane Greenberg was in the auditorium when we sang I Met Him on Sunday. Oh, her yes. mother, Florence Greenberg, owned yeah. a record company. Okay. And Mary Jane told her mother about us. And Mary Jane uh, was persistent about us meeting her mother. We knew nothing about show business, and we would run for her, from her after school. We got tired of her chasing us. We finally said, yes, we'll let your mother hear the song. And Florence uh, fell in love with the two and offered us a contract. Wow. Right on the spot. That had to be exciting, uh, knowing that you were going to be starting to go into studio. Would, do you remember the first recording studios? Were they in Passaic, Passaic, or did you go across to New York? Oh, they were in New York. And when the first one came out, I met him on a Sunday, I, how long did that take to start climbing the charts? Well, that I'm not quite sure, but it did take off, it, and then um, they put it out again. So it had two releases? Yes, it was on Tiara Records originally. Okay, got it. No, 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 Decca. Decca, yes. Yeah, Decca Records originally. And then it was on Tiara Records. Um, Florence started her own label, Tiara and Scepter Records. Oh, yes, Scepter, of course, yeah. And I, I think Scepter, of course, Decca is well known, but I think Scepter is too, as I recall. Oh, yes, Scepter, you know, we had uh, many wonderful uh, singers like Dionne Warwick and Chuck Jackson and Maxine Brown. In addition to... All of the hits, and, and there was quite a few of them. I'm thinking of just right off the top of my head right now, Soldier Boy, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? I met him on a Sunday. But there's there's a lot more than that. Can you just talk about briefly some of the most notable successes throughout your life? I'm sure that having the number one records had to be exciting. Anything else beyond that that you think of as a notable success in your life? We've been blessed to um, be in the Hall, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, yes. Uh, we're also in the New Jersey Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We got the Pioneers Award. We received the Rhythm and Blues Award. We were awarded July 15th uh, a committee called Doing It in the Park in Passaic, New Jersey. We got an award from them. We had the high school that we went to, the auditorium is now called Sherelle's Auditorium. Oh, that's great. And the street that the school is on, which was Paulson Avenue, is now called Sherelle's Boulevard. Oh, that's neat. That is really neat. Do you, uh, from time to time, go back to the school just to check in? I passed it quite, no, I pass it quite often. You mentioned a couple of names. Can you talk about some of the well-known people that you've worked with that really left a memorable impression on you? Oh, uh, people like Ruth Brown, Etta James, Laverne Baker. Uh, they were really uh, wonderful ladies. They took us under their wings. Etta James was like a big sister to us, and um, Ruth Brown did our hair, and she helped us with our makeup some. And Laverne Baker taught us how to travel on the road because when we first started, you know, we were green. We dressed up and we had on heels and skirts with crinolines, which were very uncomfortable. We had a long ride. And Ruthie told us to go and get us some jeans, you know, your traveling jeans, and, you know, get a pillow because we sleep on the bus quite often, you know, traveling. Mm -hmm. Probably initially, I'm going to guess that when you started, you had you started getting the hit records. You were probably doing mainly bus tours instead of airplane tours. Oh yes, we traveled. Did a lot of tours by bus. And was it mainly uh, northeast and New York uh, general parameters, or farther out than that? South also. It seems like I read somewhere something about what was going on in the South. Uh, Miles College in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that particular performance? Well, Joey Adams, who was president of AGVA at the time, chartered a uh, plane to go there. They had to have the National Guard 
guard the plane. The National Guard had to uh, guard the hotel that we stayed at. We could not leave from the grounds of the hotel. Jeez. We were told that the Ku Klux Klan marched before we got there. And I found out that Dr. Martin Luther King led the cavalcade of uh, cars from the airport to the hotel. Wow. And there is a picture with us performing, and Dr. Martin Luther King is to my left on the stage with us. Really? I, I'm going to have to find that picture. I want to put it on my website where I announce the uh, the interview with you. I have to go find that. You think I'll get it if I just Google it? Will I find it? You should be able to. Okay, great. So you performed there. Was Were some other entertainers on the bill as well? Ray Charles, Johnny Mathis, and uh, the people with their own chairs. And everybody was very, you know, uh, polite. We had an incident where light bulbs started exploding, hmm. and um, nobody panicked because I was standing right by the stage. So it went off really well, and um, it was just an awesome event, you know, to be part of history like that. Yeah, yeah, and even today, magnified so much today by all that's going on today. But talk to me about some of the other people that you learned from and then you were impressed with just throughout your life and uh, i know you've done a zillion shows so you've met a lot of entertainers anybody else that comes to mind well i learned a lot from chuck berry watching him he'd be on stage and he always had a bulge in his pocket and i wondered what it was and i asked him one day and he said uh his money so i learned that the promoters would pay the headliners their money first, and if you didn't catch them in time, you wouldn't get paid. Really? So we learned to make sure that we got paid before we went on stage. Now, I'm trying to remember if that was an issue. I was with a singing group in the 60s called Harper's Bazaar, and we did almost all college concerts. And it seems to me there was always some discussion about who is going to get the money. But I don't remember getting it before going on the show. But that must have been rough if you were to do a performance and find out that somebody else got paid but you didn't. Did that happen a lot? or It would happen where some of the promoters would run out with the money. You'd have to catch them to get paid. Yeah. If you didn't catch them, you're out of luck. That's it. They're gone. You never see them again. Thank you. Gee whiz. You started talking briefly about uh, the new album that you just finished. So the plan for the rest of the year, what's it looking like? Are, are you going to be on the road sometime later this We're working week? on jobs. And I have some jobs for next year. Now, do you ever get out to the West Coast, which is where I am? Haven't been out for a while, but prayerfully we will be out there. The uh, release of the new album, any scheduled date yet for the release? No, not yet. They still have, you know, well, they haven't really started mastering yet. Okay. Did you uh, have, uh, you know, out here... On the West Coast, they're not really in existence anymore, but during the 60s, they were referred to as the Wrecking Crew, which were the Hollywood studio musicians that played on so many. Did you have a similar situation in the New York studios where it was always the same people that would be the studio musicians? They did have a crew, uh, Bernard Purdy, uh, Chuck Brady, Eric Gale, and um, some of the other band members. I don't remember right now. Yeah. But they did have a certain people. Oh, King Curtis, quite naturally. Did you ever bump into whom I think, you know, now Burt Bacharach? Yes, we met Burt Bacharach. As a matter of fact, he wrote uh, Baby Jew. Oh, okay. Yes. So any of the other songwriters that you can think of that, that were consistent in, in presenting songs to you? Oh, it's Carol King who wrote uh, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? Yeah. With her husband at the time, Jerry Goffin. And we were told when it sold a million um, copies that she had her doorbell chime to that melody. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. And uh, did you continue writing? I know you guys wrote the, the, your very first song, I Met Him on a Sunday. Did you keep your own writing going as well? Every now and then. I wrote Thank You, Baby. Um, we did Look at Here, Baby, another song that we all wrote. Um, and I went into writing poems and a little short story. Any thought of ever writing a book, or have you already written a book? I'm, I'm meeting, I've met with an author, and um, we're looking into that. Great. 
Okay. I talked to uh, probably, I'm going to say three weeks ago, I had an interview with Connie Francis, and I asked her without knowing it if she was thinking about writing a book. Well, she had already written one, and it was it was on the New York Times bestseller list. So, uh, so maybe sometime in the next year, we might see a book from you. Have you kept your like your memoirs or have you developed any journals that you, you yes, would I, I, I did somewhat of a journal. And now sometimes I'd write over on what was available at the time in front of me. So I have little pieces of this or that. And uh, I have a book uh, I've had where I've been writing. And uh, I wrote down what I was feeling at the time and what was going on. And uh, it was um, quite an experience reading some of it. Yeah, it's. I think it's really important. I remember back, this has got to go back at least 30 years, maybe even more. We lived for a brief period of time up in the Seattle area, and Alex Haley, the guy that wrote Roots, came and, and spoke there, and he was talking about everyone should be writing this stuff down. And I, I haven't, I don't think I've been as complete as you have been in notes, but occasionally I will find notes that I wrote five years ago or ten years ago, um, you know, brief little stretches of time of what was going on. But, you know, when you do that, put them all together yeah. so you'll have them. I think it really is important because you don't, you know, just off the top of your head, you don't remember all this stuff. And particularly when uh, things happen that you end up writing about, usually they're usually pretty important things. So, all right, should we be looking for you anywhere on TV or any kind of uh, exposure like that? From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed, and I would like to get back to you. I'm thinking maybe sometime early next year, because probably by then the album will be out. You may have figured out what the book deal is, and we can update our listeners with all of that stuff. So it's been a treat talking with you. Thank you so much. Wonderful. And then I'll be in touch again. And until then, you take care. You too, and God bless you. You too. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Some of you probably already know that the America's Oldies But Goodies podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher.com, and iHeartRadio. And I've got my own app, which you can get through the iTunes App Store. Just do a search for America's Oldies But Goodies. As Chris mentioned earlier in the show, you need to visit my website, americasoldiesbutgoodies.com, and not only take a listen to the archives of all of our shows, but to check out the groovy merchandise. For all you health-conscious baby boomers, because I'm type 2 diabetic, you're going to want to check out my other website called ReduceYourNumbers.com. It features nutritional supplements to lower your blood sugar and also for weight loss. You'll find those at ReduceYourNumbers.com. And finally, email me with your suggestions on what guests you'd like me to have on the show. I'd love to hear from you. So until next week, keep your face in a smile. It makes everything worthwhile. Bye-bye. You've been listening to America's Oldies But Goodies with Dick Scapatoni. If you've got any questions or suggestions, send us an email. The address is dick at americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. Join us again next week for more memories from the good old days. In the words of Jerry Garcia, what a long, strange trip it was. The Swingin' Sixties. I'm John Berg. See you then. Bye.